Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Oh boy, y'all sent in a heck of a bunch of questions. By the word count, takes about an hour to get through a thousand words of questions, and we've got about 3,000 words of questions. So in the interest of your sanity and mine, I'm going to do the best I can to get through a little more than an hour's worth of questions. So I will pick and choose. And if I don't get to yours that you really want it answered, please send it in. That's always the standing policy. If we don't get to it, and by we, I mean me. Why am I referring to myself as multiple people? I don't know. Send it in again, and we'll get to it, good old we, uh, as soon as we can. But yeah, uh, look, I don't want to spend three hours right now here starting at 7.30-ish p.m. on a Wednesday evening, and I don't think you guys want to spend three hours as well. So, going to get to as many as I can. Say thank you, as always, to you for these great questions, our family of podcasting silliness I want to say thank you as well to cooper tires and the justice brothers for taking such great care of us and also to those kooks at torontomotorsports.com and then finally bell racing helmets usa family uh i don't have a whole ton for you before we get going a couple of really quick observations but it hasn't been an extra newsy week uh, has been a lot of developments other than Detroit getting canceled, which we kind of sort of expected. That wasn't a big shocker. I do have a question, though. If you're a betting person, betting man, or betting woman, I am staring at my third 2020 IndyCar schedule that I've taped to the wall. How many do you think there will be by the end of the season? Five? I'm thinking six. I'm putting my money on six. What What are your thoughts am i high am i low uh yeah uh, i wasn't thinking i was going to need that much space on the wall as well and i've kept the other ones viewable so i can at least have an easy reference if i need to know when something was originally meant to run for something i might be writing or talking about other quick thing that comes to mind and I know that whenever things like this get said, it turns into an okay, boomer, Gen Xer, whatever. You're old because you think this, but that's cool. I think I'm at my saturation point for giving a fart about the 943 different esports sim racing events per day. I think I'm already there. I'm really surprised at how quickly I don't give a fart. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy some of it, but just the, hey, everybody who's ever th- had one minute working in motor racing or ever thought of something, hey, they've got an invitational thing here. I don't, I don't know if I really, yeah. And so maybe that's being crotchety. I don't know. I'll tell you that my desire to spend countless hours tuning in to sim racing has gone from all right cool i'm really glad to see this is taking off which i am that hasn't changed hashtag me personally being the guy to just consume countless hours of so and so on twitch or here or there uh hey did you 
watch our thing last night. I'm really sorry I didn't. I'm really sorry I didn't. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of you that are going to say, no, it's just you, idiot. And that may be the case. I'm, I'm good with being an idiot. But I can just say, and, uh, there comes a point where it feels like enough is enough or we've gotten to too much very quickly. That being said, uh, playing around with the idea of doing one with y'all, but a very retro one. So anyways, hypocritical much? Why, yes, of course. Beyond that, we do one other thing before we get rolling each week with your listener Q&A, and that is, say, who gets some free stuff from torontomotorsports.com, and if you can hear that, who's going to get arrested? Maybe it's an ambulance. No, it's the popo. It's the police rolling by. Uh, This week, yeah, it's a good one. Very good one. Steve Hunt, send me a direct message. In that direct message, include your email address. As we do each week, we look back to the previous show, the questions you sent in specifically and only on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page for this show and to see whose question got the most likes. Steve, I'll admit yours didn't get the most likes, but I liked it the most. And I think that's the host prerogative, right? So send me that DM. We'll get you sorted out here. Your question about whether iRacing could be the winter series that IndyCar CEO Mark Miles has been wanting really liked that one led to a what I think was a, a fun little conversation piece as well so Steve congratulations and thank you and with that said let's get rolling here with your listener Q&A brought to you by Cooper Tires the Justice Brothers Toronto Motorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USAQ the theme music intro All right, we're going to open with a bit of haiku. Jim Kaiser, thank you for staying on the haiku beat. There's some people, man, they would have have left that mountain. You, you, you just refuse. Social distancing is the world's new catchphrase. Man, that really sucks. Thank you, Jim. That's a fine piece of haiku to start the show. Uh, We're going to go to Gary Chin with the first question of the week. As MP, I saw the highlights of the iRacing event on Saturday at Barber. I have to say, Scotty McLaughlin was pretty impressive with his Delara-powered machine. He says, is Delara going to be the third engine manufacturer? All kidding aside, hope you and your wife are doing well during this, whatever we want to call this. Uh, I must have missed that, but yes, uh, I'm hoping that Delara was listed as the uh, both the chassis and engine supplier. May, how's this? Hopefully it was listed as a Chevy Delara, so that uh, we know that Chevy made the chassis and Delar made the engine. That'd be even better. I don't know if you guys saw the stupid little thing that I posted because, you know, that's the way my brain works. I'm a little bit snarky at all times. Uh, I happened to visit the IndyCar.com page for the first time in, I don't know, six months or more and noticed that somebody mistakenly left up the driver's championship points on the homepage for 2020. And granted... Uh, it's done alphabetically, but Marco Andretti was listed in first. Oliver Askew was listed in second, and Sebastian Bourdais was listed in third. So I did a little screen capture of that. Now, granted, it didn't actually say first, second, third. It said zero, st- <laughs> the number zero and the letters ST in all three. But yeah, so in terms of maybe not exactly nailing things there, I haven't looked back to see if they've kind of figured out that 
maybe they shouldn't have that but hey who knows uh let's see where are we going where are we going oh we nc baller x 88 as i forgot to turn the ringer off on my phone have i told you i refer to this show as my unpolished turd it is not changing it not editing it out just gonna reach over here and we'll go mute on that yeah i'm not very dumb that was from my brother-in-law uh you're gonna want to get me in trouble here nc baller x 88 mp watching the iRacing event saturday i heard references that the drivers felt the game was causing them to create bad habits i was curious what bad habits they can be referring to i.e driving style breaking points etc and if a driver or drivers could sit down with iRacing what would they change to make the game more realistic too uh and what is it like to race an indy car yeah we wrote about this over the last couple of weeks I think Alexander Rossi was pretty vocal in saying, you know, this isn't it. Um, And Scott Dixon as well. Uh, Apparently they got yelled at for saying those things to me. And uh, yeah, whatever. Um, Here's the thing. And so none of this is saying negative things about iRacing. But if folks at iRacing want to get upset about it, that's their prerogative as well. It's not real. It's not a real race car. They do their absolute best to make everything as real as can be. But it is a, and I'm overstating the obvious, a simulation of an IndyCar. And so where things get to be a little bit disconnected here is you have sim racing, where iRacing falls into that category. Then you have a simulator commonly referred to in the industry as a dil driver in the loop simulator and that is the one where you've seen them sitting up on this multi-axis hydraulically powered platform in a replica sports car indycar f1 cup car whatever it might be and doing simulation testing with a manufacturer whether it's chassis whether it is engine, even tire, whatever it might be. And that is a case where, although that is not perfect, it is about as close to real life as you're going to get. And even that is something that the Rossies and Dixons and others say, it's crazy hyper close to real, but it's still not real. But it's close enough that if we make setup changes, there and i test drive it and i say yes this is the right direction i like where this is going it's close enough to where we can take that and apply that in the real world and know that there is direct correlation Uh, is there any kind of fudge factor is there any kind of correction factor that might be applied of course and i'm just throwing out random things here say a 100 pound spring change on the right front corner in doing some simulation running at Indianapolis Motor Speedway is done and it is found to be universally good. Would that mean that when they go running at the real track in similar conditions, they would go with a 100 pound spring or is there some form of correction factor that they have determined between the sim and real life where now granted they don't necessarily make springs in you know one pound increment differences but could that spring rate be a tiny bit higher 
or a tiny bit lower, knowing that, again, that is the difference between that sim and real world, and they figured out that factor to use? Absolutely. Well, then you move back to sim racing. iRacing takes immense pride in laser scanning the tracks and making the physics engine for the cars as spot on as they can be but we're talking about an online simulation delivery compared to a seven figure to eight figure simulator of course there's going to be a difference in realism in accuracy in everything now if the engineering team at iRacing wants to get butt hurt over that fact and IndyCar drivers acknowledging the truth, I, I don't know what to say. That's their choice. But to your point, yeah, this is something where, as those drivers and more have said, you can spend a lot of time becoming excellent at iRacing or any sim racing game. You do enough of that, you start to build habits, as you mentioned here. And if you haven't been in an IndyCar for a while or whatever it is that you might race and you have spent a thousand hours doing your online sim racing, well, there's absolutely going to be some realism disparities. You're going to have developed habits of acing that sim racing that just simply aren't real in the real world. And so if you're used to flying up the hill at Coda, going into turn one and breaking at a certain point and turning the steering wheel uh, at a certain speed and doing a variety of things there. That might be the killer way of doing it in a sim game. Well, that real car is going to tell you, no, 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 this is real. You need to relearn how to do this with excellence. So none of these things are bad or critical. They're just obvious, I would say. Let's see. Let's go to Chris Canham. Says, Marshall, I'm a long-time listener, first time riding in. Thanks, Chris. Says, I was watching the iRacing and car race today with my seven-year-old son, sort of. He says, I was at my house, and he was at his mom's, and we were FaceTiming. He says, what I noticed was he never got up from watching the race. That's when I thought these new air quote races might be just the right amount of time for millennials. He says, wondering if you think... This would be a good idea if IndyCar did two shorter sprint races, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. He says, we could attend the Toronto race annually. He says, I've been going since around 1997, and he's been going since 2014. He says, also, thanks for keeping us updated, and I hope you and your wife are staying safe. All the best, and I hope to see you at the track soon. It's an interesting, uh, interesting comment, Chris. I guess if we're talking about catering sports to the length that millennials, and I don't want to just say millennials, but the ute, the utes, the kids that might entertain them, I can, I hear that, would just say, I can't think of any other sport that does that. Uh, if anything, a baseball game tends to be at least twice as long as an IndyCar race basketball game falls in the same general time frame but tends to run a little bit longer most indycar races are about an hour 45 hour 50 in length obviously the super speedway is different different thing but 
uh, you know, run down the list. Football game, yeah, it might only be four 15-minute quarters, but that's a good two and a half, three hours of your day right there. Hockey, so on and so forth. So at least among the major stick and ball sports, I would say IndyCar would probably be shorter, either equal if not shorter than those. So uh, I would hope a youngish son or daughter that might have an interest in non-motorized sports uh, would just know that this is the general length of how things happen to be. And, you know, motor racing, if anything, might actually consume a little bit less time to enjoy. So I hear you on the shorter and punchier thing. I would just say that I think that might be a tough sell uh, to go dual races everywhere for the sake of attention spans. Let's see, where else shall we go? Uh, I got a lot more questions here on uh, iRacing and such uh, and sim racing. Uh, Ryan Terpstra, our uh, spirit vegetable and self described number one evangelist for sim racing, says, Final question of the week. I never believe that, Ryan, by the way. Just like when I say the show's only going to take so long and it runs over. Uh, we, we're on the same wavelength here of, of questions. Uh, MP on a scale of Bubba Wallace to Scott McLaughlin. How is your new virtual racing career going? Uh, well, let me answer that first before the other question. Uh, it isn't going. Uh, I have received a Logitech G29 steering wheel and pedal combination. It is still sitting in the box. I have been called and yelled at by my friend Chris Wheeler, who said, I need you to open that box and start running and getting ready for a race Thursday night. Um, I think some form of dirt race, sprint race, sprint car. I don't know what. Um, And he laid into me pretty good. And it's really good that we have social distancing because granted, I'm not a small guy, but Chris is not a small guy either. He could bop me on the head, Uh, but I haven't done that yet. So the answer is it's not going. I did like the note that I saw somewhere where you said readily that you would be lapping me, Ryan. That's cute. Keep it up, buddy. Uh, Keep it up. Uh, Let's see. Ryan also says, do the MP listeners want their own eye distraction race? Says we could do the old Delart Michigan International Speedway. Uh, Well, again, I don't know. So this is something I need folks to tell me. If you would want to do some form of mp podcast listener sim race type thing uh i'm very aware that my extremely good friends at dinner with racers have they have a podcast by the way uh they have their own uh i racing simulation league and it's amazing truly it's about the best thing going and it's been going for a while uh i spent about an hour on the phone with my buddy Ryan Eversley, uh, last Thursday, right after IMSA announced they were going to be doing a new series every other Thursday night, just like the pre-existing spot that Dinner with Racers exists with their Thursday night blunder. And so Ryan and I spent about an hour on the phone saying things that never meant for print, but yeah. Um, So I'm very aware uh, that, look, if we're talking being leaders and innovators, the only thing I could do here is trail behind. Because if we're talking podcasts, look, Dinner with Racers already kind of owns the concept here. And they do a crazy, wacky race, which is exactly what I would do if 
I had thought of it first as well. So really, it's just aping what someone else has done. So being cognizant of that and try not to be the like, oh, yeah, look, Pruitt's doing a race too. The only thing I can think of, which is where I need your feedback and input, is I have no interest in iRacing right now uh, and spending however many years of my life trying to become a good sim racer there. Uh, having race real race cars, uh, that's what really gets my blood going. So the thing that I have enjoyed in my past with sim-ish type stuff, gaming in general, is the old stuff, the stuff from the 90s where I did spend thousands of hours that being Grand Prix 1, Grand Prix 2, even the old original Indy 500 game. So my thought is if we were to do something, it would be that. It wouldn't be doing the thing that, for those of you who are active sim racers today, it wouldn't be doing the thing you do in your experience and comfortable with. It'd be doing the thing I would want to do and I would be comfortable with, which is 25 years old. So if that is possible, I haven't looked into this, but if that's possible for us somewhere to find uh, some form of GP1, GP2, something that we could all play together, that is what I would love to do because that would be period correct. Uh, So there you go. That's my thought. Tell me if you have an interest in it. And if so, then we can look into making that happen. But yeah, doing the thing like ev- like a million other people with an iRace along some lines that brings... The- no, thanks. Uh, that's already out there. Uh, let's see. Where are we going to go? We've got a couple folks who sent in a few more uh, <laughs> on iRacing, but I feel compelled to move on uh let's go to mike jablo this is mp do you think the announcement of a second race on the ims road course is a 2020 only event or a precursor to an annual harv- uh, harvest fall classic at the speedway yeah mike i had the same question run through my head this is a event of convenience they own it it's not exactly cheap to turn the lights on there but they own it there's already a event going on uh, end of the year with the SRO Intercontinental GT series coming there to do an eight hour race. So this was pretty convenient uh, on my weekly sports car show. However long ago, when this intercontinental eight hour race was announced at Indy, the question of, Hey, this thing hasn't really taken off or found a consistent home in the States. Do you think it might at Indy to which I said, absolutely not. Uh, unless the SRO folks are just paying through the nose for the privilege of being there. And it's too much of a profit for Roger Penske and company to turn it down. I think on its own prior to this adjustment, Mike, which is now the, uh, harvest fall classic with IndyCar being there on a Saturday, uh, potentially as well. IMSA joining in on that Saturday and, uh, now, or with the uh, the sports car race, the eight-hour race on a Sunday, prior to the IndyCar angle when it was just the Intercontinental race, I mean, if a 1,000 people showed up to it, I would be shocked. With it packaged with an open-wheel race and maybe a an American series in IMSA as well, I don't know how well that's going to go over, but um, 
I think we might have something here. I really do. Uh, you know, the other thing to think about is the traditional May Indie GP date is just a little underserved in terms of content. So the big thing I'm thinking about is IMSA. IMSA has a desire to be at the Speedway. Been, what, five, six years since they were last there. Whether it was jumping on to the May date or possibly making this an end-of-year-ish type thing, as you mentioned with this Harvest Fall Classic, I don't think the Intercontinental GT angle is going to last very long, but I could see IndyCar saying, all right, well, maybe we do run one towards the end of the year. IndyCar again. IMSA hopefully doubleheader right there, and who knows? Maybe it's uh, Trans Am or, or Vintage something. I could see that working for sure, but I'd say right now uh, I'd place it more as a one-off, but we'll have to see if there's actual success delivered in terms of fans. I think that's really going to set the stage, Mike, as to whether the idea of doing it again happens or if they just try and pull the parts of it they liked off and tried to bolt it on to the, uh, the May event. Let's go to our man Lance Snyder, MP, with Iowa now being a doubleheader. How much more treacherous will this be for teams who have to pray dearly the car doesn't get tubbed just a month before Indy? Oh, boy. You know, Lance, I've had a couple of conversations this week with friends in the paddock, uh, more along the engineering mechanic angle than, you know, manager-owner type. And this exact conversation has taken place just naturally. Them saying, so, hey, what do you think about this? This is crazy. And it is a case where, granted, we haven't seen a lot of tub destruction at Iowa, and that really hasn't been a big part of the uh, discussion there. But, yeah, I would say that there is certainly... There's going to need to be a bit of strategy involved because doing serious damage at Iowa is going to set things back. I realize that you know the second race is over July 18th. Don't run again until August 9th. There is a nice kind of sort of gap to get things fixed and turned around. I'd say more than anything, though, is and funnily enough uh, when this news came out uh, i learned about it the night before and had mentioned to a uh, engineer friend um that night hey double points at iowa to which he's like what the hell are you talking about i'm like double header he's like oh thank god we're not just randomly assigning double points to iowa um we look here at a real need lance to plan and be smart leading into indy and it's just it's a little bit of a different situation where we do have the potential for carnage at a double header oval short oval race, but the speeds are so high. The loads are so high. That's another thing where even with the slightly reduced downforce aero package, you know, we're still putting a lot of stress and strain on these cars. The conversations that I've heard have been along those lines of, yeah, if we tub a car, boy, this is just going to add, some really unneeded stress. Not only do we have mid-Ohio coming up, then we go into Indy, but this is also the period where, in theory, we're putting in a lot of extra hours to get the super speedway cars prepped and finished, and if we're also having to prepare a new chassis and yada, yada, yada. But it's also the stress and strain. 
It's the coming out of Iowa. Like, what shape are these cars in? You know, it's not just a case of dusting them off and getting them ready for the next one. It might be wholesale overhaul. So I don't know if we would have teams saying, hey, take it easy at Iowa. Can't really do that. Uh, provided, again, Iowa sticks and the Iowa date holds. But I don't think you can tell drivers to take it easy and be easy. But I do think there's going to need to be maybe an overemphasis on, hey, yeah, I see you keep looking high on this guy coming out of turn whatever, and you gotten into the marbles twice. Uh, let's think big picture. Let's not throw our team under the bus by your crazy decisions. Was it Santino in the last lap of Gateway last year heading into turn three? You know, heroics. And next thing you know, Joseph Newgarden is, you know, concerned about being taken out and possibly losing the championship. It's those kinds of things where you go, okay, uh, this is one to get through compared to go pure animal. Uh, So, yeah, there's that would say the questions you've thrown in Kyle Ballard similar to Lance's um, I do like your question about the Iowa doubleheader and is there any way IndyCar to do the first race uh, in one direction and the second race in the other um, man this is just not want to make life good for the mechanics as well because a I don't know if you guys have heard but uh, Iowa in July, not exactly cold, uh, and B, uh, we would have to just completely invert all setup work done on the car and hopefully get it right as well. So, yeah, I love the idea. Don't get me wrong, man. Um, I just, yeah, I'm trying to think of our, our people working on the cars. Uh, he also asks, is there a traditional reason ovals make left turns and not right turns? I have no idea. Uh, I don't know which person back in the day at whatever oval, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a a motor racing oval. It could have been a velodrome oval. It could have been a board track. I have no idea. Um, I have no idea where that became a thing or why it became a thing. Feels like something I should know. Also feels like something that someone's going to send me a, a link to and go, now just please learn this idiot. Uh, Uh, Kevin Frederico. Hey, Marshall, how is it that St. Petersburg uh, still has a shot to end the season uh, compared to the Long Beach Grand Prix? Uh, Says it would seem Long Beach would be a safer bet to attempt a race that time of the year, etc. Really simple, Kevin. The government folks at Long Beach said, no, we're not going to be able to do that. So super, super simple. Uh, the people that say yay or nay on holding the race in terms of making their city streets and all of the works people available said, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, here's an interesting one. I love me some conspiratorial type stuff. It comes in from the gymnopedist. I don't know what that is, and I really hope I didn't just say something disgusting. Uh, says, hey, MP, after seeing the most recent calendar amendment, I wanted to play devil's advocate by asking you if you think that Roger Penske's team's uh, success at a track would play a part in the scheduling. What I'm trying to get at is that one could look at the Iowa doubleheader and see that as a Penske, especially Newgarden track, 
due to their shock program. And hence, it would be more attractive proposition for Roger to hold a doubleheader there. Thoughts? Continued best wishes to you and Chabrell in these trying times. Uh, nah. I would not say that they're trying to look at places where they might have an advantage and then stacking the calendar in their favor just because I don't believe there's a track where they haven't had an advantage. Uh, yeah. So knowing that they won what more than half of the races last year, uh, before problems cropped up with viruses and rescheduling. And then if we look back the year before and the year before, uh, there really aren't any tracks we go to that come to mind where we go, Oh yeah, those guys are garbage, just pure garbage. How's this? They were good at Laguna Seca last year. They certainly weren't holy cow amazing. Uh, that turned out to be the Andretti team through Colton Herta and the Harding Steinbrenner outfit. To my knowledge, nobody, we don't have an open test day at Laguna. So, and I don't know of any teams at this point on whatever testing schedule that would be turning up to run there. So what I'm getting at is uh, they were very good there, but we're not like, oh my goodness, great. Um, and yet we have a double header there this year. So, you know, if I'm thinking of trying to stack the deck in their favor by over sampling the tracks where they're best, uh, then if that's the case, they did something rather dumb because if I'm betting money on the double header at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, I would be putting that on an Andretti Autosport car right now based on what we saw from last year. Uh, ta -ta, ta -ta. Uh, let's go to our man, Ed Joris. Hey, Ed. Says, I'm assuming Road America is the opening race of the new season. At that point, the cars would have been sitting more or less race ready for 17 weeks or so. What are the consequences of that? And how long, person hours or days, would it take to get them ready to race? Says, if you ran a team, would you want to see a shakedown test the week before to iron things out? Uh, and then there are the engines. Normally, the manufacturers would be in their step two engines by then. Is IndyCar going to mandate that they mileage out the existing engines or allow them to be replaced and updated? Lots of great questions. Don't have a whole bunch of answers yet because we don't know exactly when we're going back to racing. Like you, yes, I would say that there is a more realistic chance of the season starting at Road America the weekend of June 19th through 21st than it would the beginning of June, the weekend of the, uh, or actually running the 5th, 6th at Texas Motor Speedway. So agree with you there. As for getting the car ready, other than what might be an engine installation, uh, because I would assume that most teams have pulled the motors and sent those back to their manufacturer, or at least sitting out of the car having been pickled, which is a term some of you may or may not know. Um, that is basically yanking them out, uh, making sure that you basically clear them of any of the really caustic nasty stuff inside fuel and such and uh, if there's any lubrication that needs to be done for motors that would sit that that would be done as well uh I'm back in the day and i wouldn't even call it pickling um <laughs> if we were quote winterizing motors in our various customers formula fords or 
you know, we did this on a lot of things, camel lights, cars, sports, two thousands, formula Atlantics, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we just take the spark plugs out, <laughs> grab a can of JB 80 fine product made by our sponsors, the justice brothers and spray into each, uh, cylinder bore for, I don't know, two, three seconds, just try and wet everything down, make sure the rings don't stick and then throw the spark plugs back in throw the uh the plug wires on top and i think hit bump the starter once or twice with the ignition off and see you in a couple months so a little bit more complicated than that but yeah uh i would suspect the motors have been yanked and pickled and i don't know if they're sitting uh with the teams at hpd uh at ilmore slash chevy racing that i don't know uh, as for the step, I mean, that really does come down to a, how long have the manufacturers been allowed to work on their motors before things t- turned into a shelter at home situation? Uh, again, what the, what we really don't know that dictates so much of the answers here, Ed is lead time. Say for example, you're spot on and we go racing for the first time at road America. So when is that decision made? When do we get to a point where we say, okay, uh, the coronavirus has abated and we can actually rub shoulders and social distancing is no longer a thing? Is that the beginning of June? And so teams and manufacturers have almost three weeks to get ready. Is it 10 days before? We don't know. So that, I would say, just tells us I don't think we're going to be talking about a whole fleet of stage two motors to use. Just because I don't think there will have been time to prepare them. Could be wrong. Uh, then there's also just a case of how long will it take to make them go into a car and perform the setup changes for whatever track, knowing that all the cars would have been set up for St. Petersburg. You know, this is... I would say for the teams, depending on how much work they might have done before they stopped, you know, who knows if there's, if these cars are stripped all the way down to the tub, uh, if there's still suspension hanging off of them. Again, each team would probably be thinking slightly different things. It shouldn't take more than two days to get a car turned around, though, unless, again, we're just talking down to bare everything. But I don't think that would really be the case. Um knowing that the cars were indeed ready to go racing at St. Pete. So uh, I would say for some, it might be no more than one day. So that's my thought there. And we'll just have to play it by ear, Ed, on what stage motors would get thrown in. Let's go to our pal Ross Porter. Forgot to mention, by the way, (laughs) I asked you all to send in a variety of thoughts this week that weren't necessarily just questions, but how you doing? How you're coping with the good old Corolla virus. What in the flat earth is going on here? Uh, And so, Ross, you're one of a few who uh, answered the call. It is racing related, though. But said, Marshall, the shelter in place order has been a blessing in disguise for my family and I. Okay. Says I've been laid off from my second job. So I'm like, all right, I don't know if that's a blessing, brother. But so I've cut back from 65 hours a week to standard 40 hours creating a lot of opportunities for overdue quality time with my wife and kids. That's awesome. He says, that's given us all a fresh perspective on the small joys in life and our faith. Well, that's brilliant, man. I mean, I don't like hearing the lack of income, but 
if you are finding joy in that, then that's all that ma- the, really it's all that matters. Who cares what I say? This is my question this week. Assuming they would have any interest, do you think most fans would be receptive to tobacco and alcohol sponsorship returning to IndyCar? And would you? Closes by saying, and this is a part that makes me happiest. I celebrated a year to tobacco-free last month and absolutely despise it now. And you can call me a hypocrite, but I'd completely welcome any kind of sponsorship that brings more eyeballs and dollars to the sport I love. Glad to hear that you have quit, Ross. Uh, So, would I? Would I be open? Would I like it? Do I think other folks would? If I look at IndyCar's demographic, I would say... Boy, I read a lot of comments from older fans. I don't know what the exact number. We'll just say 50 and older. You know, bring back the tobacco money. The alcohol sponsorship never really went away. I just was never super strong. Tobacco, on the other hand, crazy strong, as we know. But I would say the older fans who are more accustomed to cigarettes, smoke in general, many who might smoke, who knows, uh, would certainly not be opposed to it. Purely an assumption, obviously, but you're asking me to make assumptions here, I guess. Would say younger demographic, uh, maybe not so much. At least for the numbers that I read, smoking is on a decline. Not talking about vaping, just talking about actual burning of tobacco. Uh, that seems to be on a decline. I can tell you that in my interactions, wherever I travel... Uh, I don't see a lot of smoking going on, especially with younger people. So I think that might not be celebrated or received as well. If we went back 20 years ago, do I think we'd hear any complaints if it continued? No, not at all. But today I do think there'd be some pushback. Knowing that racing, in a very general sense, I know we're talking IndyCar here, but racing in a very general sense kind of been placed in a slightly questionable zone by whatever number of folks today about, okay, so you're non-electric, you're non-this, you're just burning fuel and putting bad emissions into the air for fun. I know that that is a area of struggle for some, especially as we seem to go more and more electric based in our uh, vehicle market segment. So being the kind of renegade, yeah, we're burning up caustic everything and we're trying to sell you cigarettes while we're at it. I think modern sensibilities, Ross, I think it might be a little bit too much. Uh, As for hashtag me personally, No, and I'm going to spare you all telling you the story at full length again. Father smoked his entire life, was put into the ground at, what, 55 because of his love of Marlboro Reds. Uh, My mother smoked her entire adult life. She didn't live nearly as long as she should have. Grew up in a house with two smokers. Uh, as a kid, I used to anger them immensely, and I do mean a real kid, like three, four, five years old, because I would 
grab my mother's cigarettes and break them in half and then run and throw them in the toilet. And instead of picking up on the fact that maybe this was a bad thing, she'd get mad at me. But uh, yeah, having lived through this era, having been fortunate to have never worked for a team that was sponsored by a tobacco company, and that was not so much a mistake. It was actually, there was some intent by that, behind that. Um, I would say I'm perfectly good with that not being a part of what we do. Realize it is a free world. Realize that we live in an economical system, uh, free market, etc., etc. There are liberties. Folks can do whatever they choose. I would just say that I'm perfectly okay with this no longer being a part of our world. And if it means we have to work harder to find money elsewhere, I think that's maybe the better way to go. Being the the whore of sports, the one that is just willing to take money from anybody, that was never a good look for motor racing. Uh, some of you might recall the deal with the Simtech Formula One team in 1994. They lost Roland Ratzenberger. Ratzenberger died in a crash at Imola the day before Senna died. Again, some of you may know the story, but uh, Nick Worth, uh, designer of the car and you know team principal there, he's been very forthright in saying, you know, throughout the years, they had a moral dilemma to make. Uh, they had a proposal to receive sponsorship from Black Death cigarettes. I don't. I mean, again, I don't. I don't know where you come up with that name and think that's something. People are going to want, but nonetheless, in 1994-ish, 95, that was a company that was willing to give a small Formula One team enough money for them to stay afloat and for them to continue. And Nick, knowing that they had lost a driver and knowing that this lifeline from a tobacco company called Black Death might be hitting a little bit too close to home, uh, turned that down and they ended up not surviving as a team or business. But again, racing has been the, oh, <laughs> you you do things or make things that kill a lot of people or could kill people, or you just make it easier for them to do harm to themselves. Yeah, bring the money. That's all we care about. I'm not trying to sound super, super morally cleansed, but... I'm perfectly fine, Ross, with racing having moved beyond that, uh, at least on the tobacco front. And again, I could be wrong, but uh, I don't. I can't think of too many sponsors that have come in where it was like, "Come on, man, you know better than taking that to try and promote that." So, anyways, that's my two cents there. All right, let's pick things up again here from our man Darren Dubois. Curious on your thoughts the long-term implications of some of these date changes or cancellations. Could some events like Barber be harmed by missing a year? Would say, Darren, Barber does not bother me, does not concern me, because its owner is a lover of motor racing and incredibly wealthy and isn't fixated on IndyCar alone. They do a lot of events at Barber. IndyCar is one of them, but just one of them, compared to maybe some tracks where IndyCar is truly their, not just their biggest race of the year, but really the biggest financial engine behind things. So no real concern about Barber. Circuit of the Americas does concern me. 
Uh, yeah, uh, we would assume everything's going to go forward and we will have a United States Grand Prix later in the year and all the things that they need to sustain themselves, but uh, not pretending that an IndyCar race was a giant piece of their financial composition, Darren. But yeah, they certainly have shown us that they are on very shaky ground, period. And yeah, beyond that, uh, there's not a lot else that really jumps out as scary. Detroit was a question that I had. Could missing this year have negative effects? And the Grand Prix chairman, Bud Denker, told me directly, no, not at all. And we've actually had all of our sponsors jump in and say, we're with you 100% next year. So I would say again, the only one, Coda, that really has me a little leery. But that's in a bigger sense. Uh, will they survive this all together? Let's go to our man Carlos Villalobos says, question, if IndyCar gets to share the weekend with the SRO Intercontinental GT Series in October, will we get a special Week in IndyCar and Week in Sports Cars combo episode with you and your Week in Sports Cars co-host, Graham Goodwood, answering questions for six hours between the two series? Ah, I hope not, Carlos, uh, and nothing against the Intercontinental uh, folks, but I really hope my man Graham isn't coming over for that because it's just not that big of a deal. Uh, our man Paul Trahan, MP, do you have a favorite quarantine snack? He says, hashtag me personally. I've been chomping gummy lifesavers, which needs to stop because I've been eating way too many. Huh. I'll tell you what. It's not as if they just became my favorite. It's been a favorite for a long time as my body shape would tell you but uh boneless barbecue wings oh yes man a little bit of a ranch dressing from indiana oh i tell you just mighty fine paul hasn't reached panic button level yet but it's become problematic so i have actually intentionally dialed down their consumption so there we go uh he says as for his quarantine routine i've been cooking a lot he says just try new recipes with stuff that's been hanging out in the fridge for too long well hopefully didn't crawl out and ask to be cooked uh depending on its age so it's also been tackling lingering projects that don't require me making trips to a store lots of reorganizing he says lastly i think my dog is ready for me to go back to work i'm pretty sure she is overloaded with attention and has had enough of my crap for a while now oh that's great paul i spoke with a a friend yesterday who said i think my dog is going to want a divorce because i have walked him about ten thousand times already like up to about five walks per day starting to worry about the dog actually getting exhausted Uh, so i think yeah i think pets that can be walked and can present that outside break i think they might need a break from us a uh a human virus removal let's go to our man jj gertler says understanding you may not want to name current names what indycar team owner or crew chief was closest in their approach to employee motivation as haas formula one team principal gunther steiner Gunther, by the way, I interviewed over the weekend, and we'll have that ready, I think, early next week for us to listen to. It was actually quite a joy. I mean, he, as I've said, about the worst team principal I've seen in Formula One for many years, and this wasn't just revealed on the uh, Drive to Survive 
documentary series on Netflix. I mean, I, I've had my eye on Gunther for 15, 20 years as, wow, that guy's special. And was expecting the conversation to be a little bit testy, a little bit whatever, not knowing his headspace coming into it, and found the guy just to be as delightful as possible. So probably going to do another one of these with Gunther. So for this one, for what you'll hear, uh, it's really just getting to know him a little bit more, uh, if not a lot more. So I really enjoy the conversation. Did get into management styles a bit. uh, So, yeah, and... Yeah, so we'll dive into that a little bit more when we get to do a part two, but wanted to set the table with a part one at least, uh, where we just learn more about him. As for names, JJ, uh, I would say and have said many times, no issue saying it again, uh, my mentor, Thomas Knapp, among the biggest assholes I've ever met. Uh, also someone I love to death. It is possible to have someone who's a complete asshole and to love them. Um, there may be a couple of indie legends who fall into that category, uh, as well. Yeah. So Gunther and Tom are the same guy, but deliver their, hardcore yelling uh aggro air quote employee motivation in very different ways gunther as you might have seen is using a loudspeaker he's got the the bullhorn and it's all rage and outward emotion and you know he's not simmering and inside it's all external tom was the exact opposite tom was a man The phrase, a man of few words, among men of few words, Tom is a man of few words. So didn't say a lot, didn't want to say a lot, wanted you to get it, wanted you to magically know things. And I can deal better with a Gunther type because I'll yell right back and I might end up getting fired, but you want to come at me that way? You want to blow up in that manner? Cool. You've just shown me that that is an acceptable interaction style. So, and it in my mind, even if I'm much lower in the totem pole, there's no hierarchy here. This this becomes person to person, man to man. Really? You want to throw down like that? All right, cool. Uh, it's coming right back at you. Tom very different. Tom was all about inner nuclear rage and would get mad and frustrated about everything and everyone. Uh, Very few people worked with Tom for a long period of time. I survived uh, most of the 90s and our relationship ended very abruptly uh, where he decided, I actually, I don't know why I've never asked. I don't know if I fully cared, but, uh, he and I got into a somewhat heated argument in the, our rental car at the 1998 Texas IRL race. The uh, one where I think we finished second with Greg Ray and we didn't have much money. I'm just sharing a bit of a story here. Cause I think it might get to the ultimate point. JJ. We didn't have much money. Uh, We were scraping by on many fronts. 
And so knowing this, knowing that in terms of a salary, that there just wasn't much in the bank to use, I said to Tom, because at that point I was assistant team manager, assistant engineer, a lot of, you know, very small team, which meant people did two, three, four roles since we didn't have the cash to hire the people to have folks do them individually as you would at a bigger proper team. So just said to Tom going into the 98 season, uh, after we debuted in 97 in the IRL, said, hey, no, we don't have much money. Uh, I'm not going to keep getting paid pennies, so let's do this. I think my base salary for the year was $45,000. Now, again, depending on what you might earn today, doing whatever you do, I don't know where that number falls. I can just tell you that for my role, that type of role at that time, that was a fairly low number. So what I said was, hey, we'll just let's just do an easy fixed salary number that helps the overall budget that we don't have. And we'll just make that up with prize money. This is a decade before the leader circle thing that we have today. So there was real prize money being paid. I'm not talking, you know, insane amounts, but if you did well, you know, you pick up an extra grand a weekend or, you know, whatever it might be. So the normal, granted, it varied across the IRL and CART. Crew members could get half a percent, one percent maybe uh, of prize money. And this is the gross. Um, I said, hey, again, knowing that I'm being, I'm intentionally being underpaid here. Why don't we go for 45 grand and 3% of prize money? Right. And so it was agreed to. I mean, it's simple as that. Well, then that became a problem when we qualified on the front row for the Indy 500, qualified second, and led, I don't know, I think 18 laps or something, and brought in some good money there. And then, again, we finished very well at Texas, finished second again. And so with these back-to-back events and what would have been a pretty nice chunk of money, uh, brought that subject up to Tom, I think is the next morning after the Texas race was over, that, hey, uh, when we get back, and since we've been gone for a while and on the road, and when I we all get home, going to have a lot of bills to pay and so on and so forth, it'd be really helpful for, uh, you know, you to write a check here uh, to take care of me on the prize money side. And that turns into a big shit fight in the car. What are you, 3%? What? Nobody gets I said, well, okay, maybe that's the case. Maybe nobody gets it. You and I agreed to it, though. And you know that I don't get a whole lot else in terms of regular salary. So what is this conversation we're having? It doesn't even need to take place. Well, and on and on. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Get back. And within a week, uh, I think I get a certified letter from Tom. No conversation. Certified letter from Thomas Knapp uh, Motorsports demanding the return. It was like a page long thing. Uh, And some of the items were funny. I showed it to all my friends who are in the sport. You know, one of the line items was monitor. Like, huh? (laughs) I guess Tom thought that I had a some sort of 
TV monitor, computer monitor, something. Again, I just ran down the list and like 95% of the stuff I didn't have possession of, weren't mine. Again, I just, I don't know where it came from, but uh, it was Tom's inverse of Gunther Steiner way of disliking the conversation where he tried to pull a bullshit move on me to not pay me what we agreed to. And rather than stand up and talk about it like a man, the thing that made sense to him was to get mad, not during the mad little blow up in the car, but get mad afterwards or maintain that anger, say nothing, decide I needed to go and let me know by way of sending a certified letter that I needed to return uh, two dozen things in order to get paid. So while I love the guy and I learned a ton from him managerially, Tom was the type when there was a problem or you did something wrong or didn't get something right, instead of clearly saying this is an expectation, this is how I think you should do this thing, there was just this magical belief that all the things that he held inside would somehow be known. And so that's why, although I learned a ton from him, many things in the how to do things category, probably more in the thanks for showing me how to do things properly by demonstrating the exact opposite way it should be done. Uh, that's a hard person to work with. And so I did my best to weather that for quite some time. And I see Tom every now and then and talk to him. And again, love the guy. Uh, the shittiest guy to work for you could imagine. Immensely good at what he did in terms of competitive structure of a team and race engineering. The guy is phenomenal. But he left Genoa, went to work for Menards to run John Menards' team, and I think lasted a year and a half. Won the 99 championship with Greg Ray. I don't know how long he got through 2000, but uh, he didn't last very long there. And I think he then ran something related with Kelly racing a little bit, some faction of that in 2002, and then that went sideways. And uh, just, yeah. So they're the same guy, JJ. Um, just one being super hardcore external, the other one being super hardcore inner rage. And at least with the out loud guy, I think that's something most folks realize they can kind of sort of work with because at least the person is being communicative, uh, with Tom, he just lost job after job after job after job because he couldn't communicate. And so, yeah, uh, is this bizarre that I just effectively said, I think I'd rather work for Gunther Steiner. I don't know. Oh Lord. Uh, we're going to go to our man, David Warner. He says, Hey MP, hope you and Mrs. Pert are doing well in these crazy times. Uh, he says somewhat new to the podcast, but I love it. That's great. David says it's become a daily joy for me to dive back into some of these old episodes while trying to do my part in social distancing. Says, I was wondering when talking about the idea of hosting races during the week, mentioned in MP Podcast 779, to get in the full IndyCar season, 
What is more focused on when determining the success of a race weekend? Is it the amount of TV viewers or the fans in attendance at the event? And he also asked, which is more important for the race series and the sponsors to keep an event on the schedule? That's a great one, David. Uh, The answer is yes. Uh, The answer is it varies. Uh, We have some sponsors who are all about the TV. We want our product to be seen on your car, uh, on the logos placed on the track and whatever that is the thing we're in here for to get tv exposure there are others who massively prefer the in-person handshaking handing out of samples or t-shirts signing folks up for something the at track activation is the big draw there are some that do both many that do both but again the the value generated the value sought very individual uh for sponsors so if we're talking about the success of a weekend in general terms for those of us in the good old media i would say for indycar as well any other series it is going to be a combination of the two things you mentioned it is going to be a tv number and a live turnout number It is a great thing to have a lot of people watching a race, but if people aren't showing up to it, you then start to have concerns about the promoter, whether they can make enough money to sustain or support future rounds. So it is really, it's something where you need balance, but positive balance. You know, having a low TV number and low turnout, it's the worst thing possible. If you can get something that's looking good on both fronts, as obvious as it may sound, that is what's needed. Uh, As for keeping something on the schedule, get a couple of factors here quickly, David, where the money really does matter. Uh, Right now, as we know, racing is not dealing with an overwhelming flood of money from advertisers and sponsors. So for a track for a promoter, for whomever, to put on an event, they're going to need to get back not just enough money to cover their expenses, but to show an actual profit. That's key. That's almost independent of the series uh, that they might be hosting a race for. They might be paid by the series to have the track time to hold the event. They might be paying the promoter or the series to come. However it works... There has to be financial success for the track in order for it to continue. So that's a little bit independent of the series. Sometimes you have a a track that says, hey, so thanks, uh, but you don't need to come back. Sometimes you have the series say, yeah, the, the money you need from us no longer works. Or, boy, we love you, but there just aren't enough people there. And we look unimportant in small when we go racing at your facility because you don't have enough people. Where does the blame fall? Again, many places you could throw that. Is it insufficient promotions? Do people just not give a crap in that region anymore about motor racing? I'm again, on and on and on. But you got to get the track owner event promoters paid and properly for something to make sense. And on the sponsor front and even the team front, you just need to see that good balance. Let's see, where else are we going to go here as we ramp things down a little bit? 
All right. Uh, let's go to a fun one here from Michael Hart. Says Marshall, in a desperate attempt to keep myself occupied, I found myself wanting to know what speed was Gilles de Ferrin, 241 mile an hour, Penske Renard Honda at Fontana run, if it was moved to the cart in IRL merged organization, which took a few years to happen, and took place at Indy. Ooh, he says the speeds must have been mega. So here's my analysis between 2002 and 2005, along with 2015, the only years IndyCars, uh, IndyCars of the same series and power levels raced at both Fontana and Indy. He says pole speeds were on average seven miles an hour faster at Indy than Fontana. He says based on that, if the Ferrens car ran at Indy, it would have set a track record of 248.5 miles per hour. Uh, but it gets better. The Hanford, Hanford device slowed pole speeds at Fontana by 3% between 97 and 98. The year before and the year after the device's implementation, if we assume that percent decrease would have had the same effect at Indy, we could assume that DeFerrin would have ran a whopping 255.9 mile per hour single lap speed. I can't decide if that's thrilling or truly terrifying. Uh, you know, let's, let's be a little bit real here michael uh we do have some differences to discuss uh you mentioned pole speeds were on average seven miles an hour faster at indy than fontana um so if that was the case great but keep in mind the track layout's a little bit different turn one at indy being something that might very well pull down the speed capabilities here. So we know that RE running in an average 235, 236, 237 for the 96 race was amazing. I don't know if we get an extra 10 to 12 miles an hour out of Gilles' hot rod. Uh, I like that idea, but I would just say that we can't necessarily draw exact uh, numbers here or extrapolate them directly. So there's just a physical limit of the speed that could have been achieved through turn one in particular, turn three as well. Uh, at Indy, tires would certainly have been better on those. Uh, the tires that Gilles used, Firestones, I believe, for his run at Fontana certainly had more power. That's no question. Downforce though, um, you know, that's another area where, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that everything would equate to being faster, uh, to this massive degree at Indianapolis. Uh, I know that I'm not offering numbers as you have here, just saying my engineering mind is trying to put this together and say that it would have certainly been faster. I know that Ari Leindyke has spoken about his Cosworth engine used to set the all-time qualifying lap record was nothing super special in the 800-ish horsepower. With the DeFerrin bomb, I know we're talking 1,000-plus. So that's amazing. Just... Yeah, I do love the idea of this happening, though. 
And I would say if we really want and truly want to find out, and maybe we learn that your numbers are spot on, Michael, this is maybe something I need to pitch to Honda. Honda Performance Development. They have their own giant sim simulator in Indiana. Maybe if they're able to during the shutdown, uh, boy, it'd be great to try and get an accurate model of that Renard Honda uh, into the sim and run that at the speedway and see what kind of numbers come out. That would be phenomenal. Uh, let's go to Don Gregory. It says, MP, can you shed some light uh, of the curious decisions by Cart and IRL that led to both Vince Neal and Jason Priestley to compete in Indy Lights? Wondering what the organizing body was thinking, messing with the integrity of the field like that. Do you have any insight on what the other competitors had thought about these two participating in their sport with very little experience? Well, let's go with Vince Neal. Uh, you mentioned curious decisions by Cart and the IRL. Uh, Indy Lights in 1992 was an independently owned organization, had nothing to do with CART in terms of ownership or decisions. So uh, this is nothing to do with anyone on that level. This is strictly Indy Lights. Uh, If you look back at too many of the drivers who competed in the series, since it was formed in 1986 as the ARS American Racing Series through 92, there were a lot of folks that did not belong. And yet that hard filter of, no, you don't have the experience, eh, really wasn't applied too heavily. I know I wrote a couple of years ago about the very sad tale of Cheryl Glass. And she while being a pioneer in in many ways and doing her best to get into and thrive or succeed in Indy Lights, simply didn't belong, was not fast enough. Her primary experience and skill came from uh, short oval racing. And not that that isn't awesome and amazing, but... uh, No, that isn't so much what took place here. Um, This is an issue where, in Cheryl's case, she needed to have spent years in Formula Fords, Formula Ford 2000s, Atlantic something, before jumping up into Indy Lights. Now, she could handle a sprint car and midgets and all kinds of things, but total road racing novice. Parents... She and her father bought an old March Indy Lights car, and boom, they were competing in Indy Lights. That's kind of the way it worked back then. So someone like Vince Neal, who had done track days, had done a lot of coaching, had done some celebrity races, done karting, you know, this wasn't someone who just walked off of the stage and said, hey, I'm a racing fan. Can I go racing in your series despite never having driven a thing? Not the case so much. He also had a teammate and driver coach in crazy Tommy Byrne. So we're just thinking about the package being presented. It's one of, okay, yeah, you know, this is a a big leap for you, but at least we can see you surrounded yourself with the right people. 
granted, season didn't last all that long, going through some personal hardships as well, uh, loss of a child, and uh, this flamed out pretty quickly. On the Priestly side, you know, similar-ish things. I'd say a very similar arc. Um, racing enthusiast, someone who'd done a light amount of racing beforehand. And if we're thinking about the Infinity Pro Series, which did have links, you know, which was a uh, IRL uh, thing, uh, you know, knowing that ovals was really the thing that the IPS was built around, the Priestly arc doesn't surprise me as well. Uh, would he or Vince pass muster today? No. Were we in an era where, hey, a name that might bring more attention to us probably served as the number one qualifier to let him in? Yeah, probably, probably. So uh, I hear you. I just would say that it's very period correct and seems to fit the times um, in an all right manner. Wouldn't stand a chance today, but yeah. Uh, let's go to Joe Secchi 100 says, Hey MP, I'm curious about some of the technical details of the Delara IR 18, uh, that I can't find anywhere on the internet. That being the DW 12. Uh, I'm very curious about the downforce figures in the super speedway kit. He said, I've read racers articles about the 2019 changes to the aero package. There are a few figures related to the various gurney flaps in the configurations. Uh, I'd like to know, however, how much downforce does the car produce? Um, with maximum angle of attack on the wings, biggest gurney and all the bits in the diffuser and so on. Um, yeah. He also says it's my 26th day at home in Italy due to the COVID-19 virus and making spreadsheets about racing cars has become a very interesting hobby. Best wishes to you and your wife and your cats. Uh, and he also asks, is this confidential data? These are things I can get out of friends, Joe Secchi. Uh, and I do recall that posted a fair number of numbers when moving to this universal aero kit 18 package uh, might struggle to uh, how's this i'm sure i could get the information out of friends here the fact that it wouldn't be for an article would be the thing that has them say yeah nah, no thanks so i apologize for that but calling on favors for such things, if it's not actually going to be work-related, uh, that's a little bit of a bridge that you don't cross. So, uh, But hopefully there... I mean, I did write a lot about this stuff, so I'm hoping you found all those articles. I don't remember what they all were. I just remember writing a bunch of them. So hopefully in there you can find some good stuff. And it sounds like you're uh, coming up with some interesting things to pass the time there in Italy. Uh, where else are we going to go? We're, we're truly down to our last couple and hopefully not crazy amount past an hour. Yeah. Hour 15, hour 20. Yeah. Not bad at all. Um, all right. Take three more. Matt Anderson. Hey, Matt says, Marshall, I think you saw three of your problems all at once with your story about your friend Bernard from the previous week's podcast. Those, uh, problems are making the next great racing movie, finding a way to tell, all your stories about having to write a book and atoning for the sins of Driven. Uh, the great sports movies such as Rudy, Rocky, Miracle, etc. center around a sympathetic human character rather than the sport itself since the general masses identify more with the intricacies of a specific sport. 
now that Penske Entertainment has taken over IndyCar and the Speedway, you should propose to them getting hooked up with a studio and working on a screenplay for an IndyCar-based movie. But with IndyCar as a backdrop setting for the movie, rather than focusing on the sport itself, the main character would be Bernard and his travels from Europe and all the obstacles he overcame uh, and his kind-hearted nature uh, and a typical heartwarming ending. It says, then you could work into the story all the stories you have from your days of racing to give it some authenticity. Just a thought. Although, if you do end up doing it, I'd like some producing credit. I mean, naturally, Matt, right? I mean, it's going to be a Matt Anderson production because... I'm not going to take responsibility for the epic failure. You know, I love the idea. Uh, it's a bad idea. That's why I love it. Uh, kidding aside, I mean, Bernard is Bernard is just an amazing story, an amazing guy, too. Uh, here's a little interesting factoid I didn't throw in about Bernard. So when you see him at Indy, and hopefully some of you will see him at Indy, uh, he's got... Short ginger hair, very closely cropped ginger hair, very pale German man. You'll notice that he always, even in a thousand degree weather, is wearing long sleeve shirts, long pants, never in shorts, never in a t-shirt, short, anything. Um, Will often have a hat, possibly uh, a towel or scarf or something similar around his neck. Why is that? As a kid attending, I forget what race in Germany, he was badly, badly sunburned. And I don't mean like one of the worst sunburns in the history of life and was in, you know, the ICU for a week, but very badly sunburned. I've been. I don't know if everyone has, but I've been in that same situation. I think on a camping trip with my you know, family, was out fishing all day on the little river or creek or whatever, and my dad said, hey, put on some sunscreen. Yeah, sure. I was like eight. And, I mean, I, I was purple. I was so sunburned. I've been there. I know how bad it was. I remember that, but it's never scarred me. Well, this one scarred Bernard. Enough so that as a result, whenever he goes outside, he ensures that head to toe, I don't know if he wears gloves. I have seen him wear gloves, though, but I don't know if he wears them all the time. He, maybe with the exception of his face, is covered from head to toe, does not let skin become exposed to anything, and he cakes on sunscreen on his face and anything that might possibly catch sunlight all in reaction to this one event, you know, as 10 years old or whatever it was. And I remember having a conversation with him saying, you know, the one thing about motor racing that I, I really want to see fixed. And I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be a good one. You know, is it engine related or sounds or colors or shapes or just, you know, something to really make it more visceral, more exciting Then no, I want to see every racetrack put some sort of covering over the grandstands. There needs to be some sort of protection from the sun over every grandstand everywhere so that people don't get sunburned. And I'm like, wow, Bernard, I love you, man. But this thing's really, really taken a deep root within you. This one thing as a kid has now ruled 
the rest of your life. When you think of going outside, you think of being attacked by the sun. First and foremost, when you think of going outside and doing anything, you prepare for battle top to bottom. When you think about going to a sporting event, and it could be racing, it could be soccer, it could be whatever, he said he will only go to ones where there is some form of roof or covering or something over the grandstands. If it's just exposed to the sun, won't go. So I don't know where that fits in the movie here, Matt, but, you know, we want to talk about the, the human character, the quirks, the quirks. Oh, boy, they are good. Uh, ta -ta, ta -ta. All right, uh, Joel Reinald. Marshall, I love the unpolished turd you call a podcast. Just wondering if one of your fine sponsors or your wonderful wife decided enough was enough and made you polish up an episode, what type of products do you use? Is it like a car wax or a furniture polish, a sponge or soft cotton cloth? Please give instructions on how to actually polish a turd without making it messier. Well, I mean, it's a bit of an obvious answer here, uh, Joel. You don't polish it the moment it's produced, you give it a couple days, then, you know, you've got something solid to work with. So yeah, products, I would say, I'm not even going to offer that because I don't want to get in trouble. I'm trying to stay out of trouble these days, although I'm not succeeding. Uh, ta -ta, ta -ta. What else can we go to here that might amuse you? Uh, here's just a couple thoughts from folks on things they're doing during quarantine. Let's do that to close. And I think I might've missed one or two late submissions for this episode. So again, if I didn't get to your question, you want me to answer it, please throw it back in and I will certainly do that. Make a note. Hey, idiot resubmitting this. You didn't get it the first time you dummy. Uh, so we'll just take a couple here quickly, uh, to let you know what some folks are doing on the quarantine side. Uh, ta -ta, ta -ta. we're going to go to Jameen Tuttle MP for racing enjoyment. It's all about watching old races, road to indie races, etc. doing a lot of driving the family around old back roads. Oh, good man. Uh, our pal, Jeff Barak says, I've been exploring all the great racing documentaries on Netflix and Amazon prime, especially those produced by Adam Carolla, many more than I expected. And that doesn't even include the reality TV series I see on there. I watched that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you enjoy that, Jeff, then good on you. Um, yeah. It says, I've also been rewatching the racing related feature films I own on DVD, like Grand Prix and Le Mans. I think a lot of folks are, are burning up there anytime minutes, their, their internet provider and sell plans to watch lots, which is great. Maybe the, the byproduct of this is, collectively as racing fans we know more can speak about more because we in general have uh spent a lot of time to go back and look at things uh so that's pretty cool i haven't i need to i got to but uh i'm hoping everyone else has uh we're gonna close with our friend joshua ponce joshua sends in stuff not only every week but it's just like many of you uh really cool and frequent participant in what we do active in what we do here uh says marshall i finally stepped out of the house as you remember from the last show 
I've been at home working since March 17th. Wow, the world has changed. I took your advice in pretty much covering up with a mask, gloves, etc. The reason for me stepping outside was to get groceries for the next two weeks. So some of the ways I've been able to get through the self-isolation period is staying busy. Fortunately, I started my bachelor's degree at the beginning of March. That's awesome, Josh. So lots of studying I have to do. During the self-isolation period, I'm also taking the opportunity to reflect on a few things, like events I attended and looking at pictures that I've yet to edit and need editing as taking pictures as a hobby uh, that I love doing. He says, also listening to the best motorsports podcast, which is the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Well, okay, you had me up to that point, but uh, thanks for the lie. Uh, He says, honestly, thank you uh, to you for being able to provide us an escape for reality. He says, I know that we will all get through this soon, and we just have to do our part. Amen, Brother Josh. Uh, Yeah, I... I really appreciate the kind words. I am going to overemphasize something uh, because I like to, and that is really I do this because I'm part of your family. That's why I realized recently, you know, I don't have listeners. I don't have fans or any of that stuff. I have family. Y'all are family. And so I just, frankly need to be more accurate in how I think of you and refer to you as family. And I'm in a wing of motor racing where creating stuff is what I do. That's my job. This podcast, which I guess you could say is a job ish. It's my own. I own it. It's not something my clients own or provide input on. Um, I just think of y'all as family and it's my job to entertain or something. So whether it's this audio stuff, whether it is, this is a magazine cover that makes me happy posts almost every day or photos or stupid little things that I can throw out on social media a couple times a day, you know, there's, there's intent behind it. It's just a case of wanting to make sure that you all, my family, extended family, are taken care of. And that isn't said in some sort of, oh, well, is it Marshall great kind of way? No, it's the opposite. Because what do we have here? What are we doing here at this exact moment? It's what you all are doing for me. It's what you all are giving to me with your questions and time and whether it's grace or humor. I mean, a Lance Snyder question, a JJ Gertler question, and I can run down the list of so many of you is going to make me laugh. Uh, It's going to make me chuckle. It's going to do something. And holy poop. That's, that is such an amazing thing. My wife and I, yeah, we got stuff we're going through and it, it, I wish, we didn't, but we do. But, you know, we kind of got it handled. We're in a groove. We're okay. But it's fairly narrow daily existence. And my wife and I and two cats. Other than that, what do I have? Well, I have what's developed here with you, with a family. 
uh, what someone amusingly referred to recently as the MP Nation, which sounds like something I'd hear uh, on my friends, their show, The Speed Freaks. So, I don't know. I just, I think of the opportunities that you all present to me every single week with the Weekend IndyCar guest show, the listener Q&A here, the Weekend Sports Car show that I do with my pal Graham Goodwin. It's insightful. I learned a lot. There's humor and absurdity and snarkiness. There's all kinds of things that come my way every week from you. And so while it is my job to produce content, uh, this is the stuff that I love most. And this is the stuff that is most sustaining because it's us. It's this little family of ours doing this thing for ourselves. And so it's a selfless thing. And that's why I love it. So just want to say thank you to you, Josh, and to everyone else all the things that you fired in this week and the other stuff you'll fire in. I enjoy sharing more stories and sharing more of myself. And I'm going to continue to try and do that and think of stuff. And maybe I need to follow Bernhard's example and cover myself from head to toe. I don't know, but I do appreciate this forum that you all present for me to answer your questions in fellowship with my fellow man and fellow woman. So thanks family. This is uh this is really cool. And now it's time for me to say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Say farewell for this week, and I'll speak to you next. <laughs>